Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here. Happy you are listening. What energy is still at the center of a lot of conversations going on in America. Gas prices are back down, but there's more talk than ever, it seems, about climate change, energy policy, uh, people coming on TV talking about energy and sustainability. And, you know, I don't know. To me, it, it almost feels like it's one of these things where we are not going to be able to correct ourselves from this. It's like a, it's like a plane in a very steep nosedive, and we're actually not going to be able to um, recognize our faults in this until the plane hits the ground and just blows up into a million pieces. And of course, you know the, the damage that's done. Uh, you know, think of it like this, as the plane is in the steep dive, there's damage being done to our energy system, our, our, our infrastructure, the, the capital investment that goes into keeping up with energy demand on an annual basis, so on and so forth. That destruction is happening all along the steep dive. And then once the airplane hits the ground, if you follow the analogy, that's when we realize, oh, shoot, we screwed up. We put all our eggs in this basket, and now we're, now we're in big trouble. And um, that's kind of what I think is happening with the energy business. Um, we've, we've, we've kind of gone all in uh, with this um, you know, renewable piece. Not that this is, the renewable's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. Um, but we've directed so many resources into this path that it's actually we're actually seeing uh, negative investment uh, on the traditional fossil fuel side, and I would say on nuclear as well and coal. And you know we don't we I don't know that we can really survive a negative investment level in those other lines of uh, energy production. And so this is where I think we're in, in real trouble. So anyway, you know, this, this topic today, it's another John Stossel video, and it's loosely related. He uh, kind of profiles the backdrop of, of the story is, is Sri Lanka, and we've talked about Sri Lanka on here before. But basically, Sri Lanka's government fell uh, just in a matter of days. Because people were starving in Sri Lanka and they couldn't get fuel. Uh, they were waiting in line for days just to fill these little golf cart looking cars that they drive around over there. And uh, anyway, it, it, it drove the country into collapse. And of course, it started with um, chemical fertilizers, the ban on chemical fertilizers. And uh, what I want to do is I want to play some of this, but I want to talk about what what is happening how how this is happening in the background because um the the connections um the 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 mechanisms behind the scenes aren't entirely obvious 
moving the police barricades and pushing the riot police back. People in Sri Lanka rioted because in one year, the country slipped into extreme poverty. A big reason is because Sri Lanka's government fell under the influence of the world's hardcore environmentalists. The green generation has risen up. We must go from harming our planet to healing it. Many governments have embraced the idea that pure nature is best. So right there at the end, he says that many governments have embraced the idea that pure nature is best. And I don't think that's quite right, actually. I think, I think what governments have done is they've latched on to this idea uh, because it's, it's convenient and it's something that they can control. And if they can control it, they can gain power. It gives them power um, and, and, and a way to set up their toll booth way for them to distribute funds to winners and losers, to buddies, um, you know, people that they can, uh, they can help out turn into rich people and get campaign donations and things like that. Now, in Sri Lanka's case, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Some of these developing countries, they need infrastructure-type expenditures in a big way. And the problem is they don't they don't have they have their own currencies but they're not the reserve currency like the United States and so they need foreign capital in order to invest in their country and what this is uh, the way this is done is through um, uh, the World Bank and what uh, Saifedean Amus calls the misery industry and what they do is they say yeah look we'll help you build your energy infrastructure but it has to be green, okay? Otherwise, we're not going to loan you the money. And then what they do is they loan them the money, but then the infrastructure doesn't produce the results as expected, and they, they don't have the, they can't utilize it in a way that allows them to be productive so they can pay the money back. And so they, they become kind of debt slaves. Now, the other thing that the World Bank uh, did and... Um, and, and these world bankers do, and this is all coming from, by the way, this is all coming from the World, world Economic Forum. These people, the, the way they're thinking and the, their policies are all created by the World Economic Forum. Voluntarily, I mean, the, the World Economic Forum is not forcing them, but they bring all these people around and say, this is what we need to do. This is the, the, the globalist among us need to help save the planet, right? And this is the the language that goes along with it. But part of that is, hey, you need to you need to use more organic fertilizer. You can't use ammonia-based fertilizer, chemical-based fertilizer, because it harms the planet. And where this comes from is when you make ammonia, it's a very energy-intensive process. You, they use something called a steam methane reformer, uh, use a lot of natural gas, and you create ammonia. Uh, Kellogg, Brown, and Root developed this process years ago and it's it's got like a big target on its back you know i mean this is this is one of these areas that uh has come under fire in in the in the modern world and but the the problem is this is that ammonia-based fertilizers chemical-based fertilizers have revolutionized farming and have allowed um you know, more and more people to live on the planet. 
And if you get rid of those, I mean, you're going to have some people starving. And so these are kind of the problems behind the problems. But uh, uh, I just want to I just want to point out that it's not that governments really are 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 true believers in all this. They just are opportunistic. They see a way to control, to gain power, and and to and to you know the fossil fuel industry is kind of um, they're kind of rogue with respect to the government. So the so the government like poking them in the eye, you know, gives them some power over them, and they like that. For most of our history, humans lived in harmony with nature, but we have shattered that balance creating a climate catastrophe. We need the countries to work together. UN officials now say the climate crisis requires countries to cut nitrogen waste. There is only one Earth. Because chemical fertilizers give off nitrogen emissions. Activists applauded when Sri Lanka decided to become the first organic-only economy in the world. The country's president banned all synthetic fertilizers. Bang. We Americans paid little attention, but media in the area saw the effects. They were forced to go organic overnight, and their production has plummeted since. Suddenly, the same farms produced much less food. Food prices rose 80%. Come on, Lanka! That sparked these protests. There's a couple of things in this clip that I want to address. One is, you know, this this idea that humans lived in harmony with nature. You know, if you really go back and study this and look at this, what, you, what you'll find is that nature, for most of human history, was trying to kill human beings. <laughs> I mean, you had to get up every day and try to figure out how you're going to eat that day. And then hope that, you know, the weather doesn't kill you, there's not a hard freeze that takes away your food. I mean, people, I think, they had this romantic idea of what it was like to, say, be an American Indian, for example. American Indians uh, lived for thousands of years in North America, but they did so and, and struggled, really. I mean, you know, almost everybody that lived before 1800 1700 really struggled okay you had to you were you were under you, you were basically subjected to grinding poverty okay and the threat of dying i mean people didn't even live much beyond their mid 30s i mean so so people had this kind of a romanticized idea of what it was you know what it was like and and it just wasn't that great. It really wasn't until uh, energy, uh, you know, first, you know, wood and then coal uh, and then later oil and gas. Th- these really, these, these um, resources and, and our ability to harness them and to use them in our economy really liberated people from this grinding poverty, this, this desperate attempt to survive year in and year out. And so that, that's something that I think people, especially these environmentalists, they, they just don't even understand. They don't know what they don't know about that. And, and it's misleading to people because some people don't know this. Uh, they don't know past what happened 10 years ago. The other thing is, 
this business about nitrogen emissions is just ridiculous. I mean, nitrogen makes up 78% of the atmosphere. I mean, it's just, it's omnipresent. So I, I don't know how you, uh, you know, I don't know how you have more nitrogen emissions than 78% of the atmosphere. So that's kind of a canard. But I mean, this what what I talk about sometimes is the unseen. You know, when when you when you do something, especially by way of force, okay, there's a there's a response or there's a a, a reaction. You know, uh, Newton's I forgot which law it is, but Newton I think it's a second law um, says that you know for every for every force uh, there's an equal and opposite force, and and economics is very much the same way. I mean, when you when you pursue some good in the economy, uh, there's a there's a trade-off. There's something that happens on the unseen side that you don't really know, right? You can you can measure it after the fact, but uh, these these interest and uh, interest in people's wants and needs and actions line up to produce the what what is initially the unseen but becomes the scene later on. And of course, the scene later on that I'm talking about is the 80% reduction in food, food production. And of course, you know, if you can't produce enough food, you know, most people aren't farmers anymore, right? They're used, we've, we've become accustomed to living in a modern uh, industrial economy and people get up and go to the grocery store, okay? And if there's not any food, then people become very... Um, very, you know, angry and upset. I mean, food is like really high on the Maslow's hierarchy of need. I mean, it's like water, food, and then maybe shelter, you know, and stuff like that. And then it goes down from there. So uh, when you don't have enough food to feed your population, you've got big time problems. And that's, that's, that was one of the driving forces of Sri Lanka falling. The protesters stormed into the president's mansion. The president resigned the next day. It turns out that people need chemical fertilizers. Modern chemicals, in most cases, are pretty good. Of course they are. Michael Schellenberger, once named one of Time Magazine's Heroes of the Environment, now says today's green dogma would lead to mass starvation. We could only support two to three billion people on Earth if we just relied on natural fertilizers like manure. There's 8 billion people. Why can't we make more organic manure? It takes twice as much land just to produce all the cows that you need the manure from. So synthetic fertilizers are a friend to saving nature because they reduce how much land we need. Yeah, without chemical fertilizer, you're talking about, you know, 4 or 5 billion people on the planet just starving to death. And, you know, I don't want to get into, is this on purpose or, or whatever. I think, uh, I think a more uh, productive way to look at this is that these, these busybodies that love to use force and are anti-freedom, anti-liberty, anti-property uh, type busybodies, they often cannot see first, uh, pa- they can't see past the first uh, order or the first level of the decisions they're, they're making. They don't realize that, that that modern society is like a matrix uh, 
of layers. I mean, it's like a, a 10,000 by 10,000 matrix. And they're tinkering with one or two things here and there on the edge. But then those, those things ripple through that matrix and cause all kinds of disruptions or what we call externalities. And these externalities have serious consequences. I mean, you just cannot, you can't mess with these things and expect not to have major fallout from it. Uh, energy is at the very core of our existence. I mean, the, the life that of those of you listening right now, uh, just in practical terms, wouldn't even exist without our modern energy infrastructure the way it is. And I know it's easy to take it for granted. That's fine. Take it for granted all you want. But don't be in the business of making decisions about it. Okay? People that take it for granted and don't understand it should not be the same people making decisions about it. Certainly not bankers at the World Bank or at the IMF. You know, these people shouldn't be, uh, you know, putting strings attached to money um, that are causing countries to do things that are going to starve a bunch of their people and then create, you know, disruptions to their government. They, they just don't know enough about what they're doing to, to, to tie it, to put those kinds of strings, to attach those kind of strings to this, uh, this, these investment decisions. But again, this is this is the problem. This is the problem with political authority, okay? And more importantly, it's the problem with a kind of a fiat money system. We give a lot of money, you know, foreign aid money, but we we put strings attached. We we attach strings to that money. And some of these strings are things like, hey, no chemical fertilizers. Uh, you got to have solar and wind energy infrastructure primarily. And this this really to me, this all stems from these people worrying about, and when I say these people, I'm talking about these, these busybodies, these power-hungry, politico, busybody types that are okay with using force. What, what they're looking at is they're looking at, wow, you know, the way the United States is, uh, is great, okay? But the whole world, we can't duplicate the United States in the whole world because they're just, you know, the planet will crash. There won't be enough. I mean, this is the kind of thing they worry about. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But it doesn't make any sense to force countries and people in those countries and governments in those countries to do things the way we want them to do them. You know, all that does is undermine our credibility and it, and it harms other human beings in other places. And we shouldn't be in the business of that. The United States government and our, our, the influence we provide on these institutions like the World Bank and the IMF, we shouldn't have any business in any of this stuff. Because look at the damage. Look at the, look at the unseen that's caused. By the same token, you know, if, if rich people want to spend their own money helping Sri Lanka um, you know, move to organic fertilizer, great. That's fine. But governments like the United States and these institutions like the IMF and the World Bank should not be interfering in this way. 
Now the environmental purists are making excuses for Sri Lanka. They say it's ridiculous to single out the fertilizer ban as the cause, as Schellenberger does. I don't think it's ridiculous to point out there was agricultural collapse after they banned fertilizers. Organics advocates made this video saying, Of course it's not ridiculous. I mean, fertilizers are directly related to agricultural production. Uh, without, without fertilizers, um, production falls by 80% or even more. And so that certainly leads to agricultural collapse. And of course, uh, fairness has nothing to do with it. The country needed time to change and adjust to the organic way of farming. You might be able to become poorer over five or 10 years rather than over six months, but the result is going to be the same either way. There were other causes of the problems, higher oil prices, COVID, other stuff happened. But those same problems affected other countries where the economies did not collapse. What made the difference in Sri Lanka was its fertilizer ban. Yeah, COVID was going on all over the world, and we didn't have people starving and governments falling in other countries, not even in other, uh, in other poor countries. So, yeah, that's crazy. Um, the, the, the other thing is the whole, they needed time to adjust. This reminds me, you know, if you, if you study any kind of Russian history at all, or, you know, Soviet Union, this is what the Soviet Union used to always say. They would have this big famine, kill a bunch of people. And they would say, well, we, you know, we, we need time to adjust. You know, we're, we're going to take two steps for, uh, two steps backwards in order to make three steps forward and stuff like that. They were always making excuses for their policies. They were always talking about, you know, next year would be better. We, they needed more time to adjust. This is just what totalitarian people say. People that are central planners, people that think they're smarter than everybody else and think they have all the answers. And um, this is just how they, this is how they talk. This is what they believe. And, of course, they have to, the only way for them to be proven wrong is to have their policies end in complete disaster. Uh, but even in this case, that's not enough. You know, they, they, they still say that they're right, uh, or they assert that they're right. They just needed more time. Even though a bunch of people died and a bunch of people starved and people were couldn't get gas and uh, you know, for their little buggies and, and whatnot. I mean, it doesn't matter how bad things get. They always want to push that. We just need more time for people to adjust. People have to make adjustments to our new policies. But environmentalists are right to be concerned about chemical fertilizers. The nitrous oxide they emit is a greenhouse gas. And when nitrogen runs off into waterways, it can create dead zones where fish and other aquatic species are unable to survive. Absolutely, we should be concerned, but that's best dealt with through a gradual process of farmers getting better at applying the fertilizer to their crops. Farmers are already doing that. She spends more than $100,000 a year on manufactured fertilizer. Since fertilizer is expensive, Farmers have an incentive to make sure it's not wasted as pollution. We want to make sure we get that fertilizer to the plant. We know that you can significantly reduce pollution while producing the same amount of food. Chemical-based fertilizer has been around for more than 100 years now. I mean, I don't know how long exactly, but a long time. And whatever 
wildlife or fish that it's killing, it's not it's not killing enough that it's causing people to starve. And I, I think to me this is just a you know these environmentalists. The problem with them is they they look at a few thousand people die of starvation or whatever, and they just don't think they don't care much about that. They they care about the fish, and and I do too. Actually, I care about the fish, but what what I see is I see a policy that in a year completely disrupted an entire society, and what I don't see is. Uh, some fertilizer, some runoff from fertilizers getting into waterways and killing substantially large enough quantities of fish and marine life that are disrupting entire societies and causing people to die of starvation. That's what I don't see. So there's just a fundamental imbalance of, you know, these, these perceived externalities. I mean, the environmentalists see the externalities around uh, marine wildlife and things like that, fine, okay. But if let's let's agree to use uh, human life as a as a higher standard, okay. And uh, you know, I just don't see I just don't see problems with marine life causing people to die and governments to be uh, dissolved. I mean, it's just, it's just not happening. So yes. I'm not saying it's not uh, it's not bad that we have runoff into water, but yes, let the farmers manage it. I mean, fertilizer is expensive. It's not in their interest to let a lot of it run off into the water and kill marine life, especially if it's on their property. In the Netherlands, they reduced fertilizer pollution by 70%. But now Dutch farmers are protesting because their government now wants so much more reduction that thousands of farms would have to shut down. It's out of control. It's completely unnecessary. Yeah, you know, look at what's happening in the Netherlands. In fact, the Netherlands, you know, they did. They reduced um, chemical pollution from fertilizer by 70%. But it's not enough. I mean, the government has, in fact, there, there's something going on there. I don't know if the government, I've, I've seen, I've read and seen people talking about how the government is trying to take the land away from the farmers. You know, the Netherlands is one of the most productive uh, farming uh, countries in the world. I mean, they export a ton of food. And so I don't know what's going on there. There's some manipulation that's going on there in the Netherlands. But that's why you have these big protests with the farmers there. They're driving their tractors around on the highways, cutting off, you know, transportation on their highway system. Uh, They're clearly upset by this... um, this furtherance uh, in reduction of uh, chemical-based uh, fertilizer uh, pollution. And so I think there's some ulterior motives, motives there. But, yeah, I mean, the, these, this is just not a problem. Democrats would call this a manufactured crisis. And it feels like it. It feels manufactured, right? It feels like they're trying to disrupt things so dramatically that the people will come into the streets and ask the government to do more. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. And of course, that's the last thing we need. We have to get to 100% renewable energy. We see the same extremism with ideas like the Green New Deal. We have to get to 100% renewable energy. 
We're in the worst energy crisis in 50 years. Energy prices going from record to record. And yet here we are, governments are trying to make energy more scarce and expensive. European power plants are desperately trying to buy coal because wind energy hasn't performed. It's totally insane. There's no other word for it. This pursuit of a chemical-free world is insane. Modern technologies like chemical fertilizer make people's lives better. Stopping that progress brings disaster. With poverty soaring, one in five Sri Lankans are going hungry. People have no gas to cook, people have no money to buy food, so this has to stop. Sri Lanka today, the world tomorrow. Let's hope the hardcore environmental left doesn't get its way. The problem is the hardcore environmental left are the useful idiots of today. They're the ones that are, that are agitating in the public for all this. And the government is, 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 is saying effectively, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this work for us because this is, this is what we want to do. We want to create a place where all human beings have to come to us for their energy and, and that gives us maximum amount of control over them. And, of course, this is not, this is opposite of liberty. And this is opposite of, of property rights. Um, and it's going to lead to disastrous outcomes. Now, before we leave today, I've, I want to bring in just another, since they talked about green energy there at the end, and green energy, one of the big pillars of green energy is the EV market, you know, the electric cars. And I just wanted to play this guy from Twitter uh, who's he's kind of an expert in this area. And I just wanted to list, let you listen to the rundown of the, the mining, the amount of uh, sheer volume of mined materials, and also the fuel, the, the, uh, the actual petroleum that's used to uh, develop these batteries. And I just want to let you, let you listen to his summary. I think it's really good. We want to go all electric by 2035. Is it practical to do it now? Well, we can make this whole discussion easy with the two-letter word, no. There's no such thing, of course, as a zero-emissions vehicle. The real question is, where are the emissions associated with the electric car? What you do with an electric vehicle is you don't eliminate emissions, you export them somewhere else. You have to dig up about 500,000 pounds of materials to make a single thousand pound battery. It takes 100 to 300 barrels of oil to manufacture a battery that can hold one barrel of oil equivalent of energy. Just manufacturing the battery can have a carbon debt rate ranging from 10 tons to 40 tons of CO2. And the plans that are in place to increase the use of batteries will require an increase in production of minerals like lithium, cobalt, zinc, Demand for those minerals will increase between 400% and 4,000%. There isn't enough mining in the world to make enough batteries for that many people for their car. Yeah, he brings up a great point here that, that it's, not, uh, it's not green, okay, first of all. And there's no such thing as a zero emissions vehicle. Uh, you're, just, you're just transferring the emissions from one part of the world to another. And... You know, as far as the environmentalists are concerned, I mean, I don't know if, if any of you have ever seen a large mine, but these are enormous openings in the earth where there is ginormous equipment uh, being run to dig up the earth and move the earth from one place to another to crush the rock, to uh, use chemicals and 
various types of uh, uh, liquids to uh, extract um, the the materials of interest that are in the rock. And this is just an enormous process. And we're talking about an increase of that process of 400 to 4,000%. I mean, environmentalists are going to lose their minds over this. They have no idea what they're talking about. These people that ride around in a Tesla and think they're doing good for the world don't have a clue about this. They don't understand what they're advocating for. This is much more destructive to the environment than uh, an oil rig that takes up three acres of land and produces, you know, 250,000 barrels uh, of oil. I mean, it's much more destructive. So I think, again, there's just, you've got, these people can't think past the one layer, right? They, they, they say, oh, look at this, no exhaust pipe. This is clean. But then they don't, they don't take the second and the third and the fourth step in these processes to understand what, what they're actually advocating for. <laughs> I mean, they really should just stick to accounting or finance or uh, being a doctor or whatever it is their level of expertise is. It's not in energy, energy management, energy consumption, energy production, uh, mining. It's, it's not in these areas. All right, well, look, I've talked for 33 minutes today. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Of course, I always enjoy talking about this stuff. Probably, you know, people are sitting there on the other side of this conversation and thinking to themselves, how could anybody want to talk about this stuff? But for some reason, I get excited about it. So I hope you enjoy that. I hope it's useful and and uh, helpful for you. Hopefully it gives you some... some um, kind of ammunition when you're talking to your friends and your family members. Um, Cause that's what we all need to do. We need, we need to get people's eyes opened to some of these problems. And, uh, and I think I still say, get rid of the federal reserve and all this stuff goes away. It all just goes away. Um, and we can talk about that in more detail at another time, but I'm sticking with it until next time who gets to decide. <laughs>